Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hello, welcome back to Old Time Crime Gals. This is Melissa, and Shannon is back this Yay. week. Thank goodness. Missed you guys last week. Sorry I wasn't able to make it. You're and not allowed to miss the episode again. All right. I'll it was way too short with me talking to no one. <laughs> I'll do my best, and thank you for listening to Melissa. I will do my best to be here. So, hello, and welcome back. Don't know if you're in a rainy place, but oh. we are in rain, rain, rain. Miserable. So, yes, it has no, I think we're going to have to start driving boats pretty soon. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, Melissa, are we getting ready to talk about a survival story, right? Yes. It, well, it still involves murder. It still involves crime. But it's more about uh, Mary Vincent, who is a survivor of just this awful attack and what this Little girl, because she was 15, that's still a child in my eyes, yes. had to go through, and then she came out, a survivor, is just amazing. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing all about it and listening and participating. So, we're ready to get it going? We are. Okay. So, we're going to go back to the 70s Woo. in California. Um, and guys, you know that we live in the southern part of the United States. I know you can probably have figured that out by now. So I know as a child growing up, we were able to just run and play. I lived more in the country. Didn't worry about whether I was going to go in the woods or so the seventies to me seemed and appeared during those times to be pretty safe. Your TV, you didn't have access to news 24 seven, right? The news all <laughs> over the country and the world. So you just didn't worry about things. Um, I know you said something about your grandmother left her doors unlocked. Oh, yeah. Going to play over there, running from house, you know, across the street, my cousins. And you had fields and woods and you would just go play. And you didn't worry about anything, really. Right. And that's what Except I did. Well, you know, to be home for dinner because you wanted. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you were hungry after playing all day. So, yeah. I mean, back in the 70s, 80s, it just didn't seem as dangerous but you also grew up in one part of the united states and so different people that might have lived in the city or on the midwest or out west like what who, we're going to talk about california oh yes they may have had a different experience which obviously in the 70s in california there were um it was a breeding ground for serial killers that, you had a lot of them um and i mean a serial killer i you know mine I just never thought of people like that until the, probably in the re most recent years with TV and technology. So uh, it became a cultural hotspot. People were flocking to seek fame and fortune. I'm sure everybody was hoping to get a star um, in Hollywood on the, uh, to, for people to walk over and take pictures with and in front of the Hollywood sign. And so it just people flocked there to try to be an actor an actress and the population grew so when, you know, when populations grow, crime, crime grows, right? So according to the CDC, it was the highest jump in 10 year span for violent crime from 70 to 1979. Uh, just to give you an idea how bad it was, 1960, there was 37,558 violent crimes reported. In 1970, the number was 94,000. 741. Wow. That's, I mean, that's like 
almost yeah. sixty thousand. But that's not even the biggest jump. So what's let's see, once nineteen eighty hit, it increased to two hundred and ten thousand two hundred and ninety. Wow, that that's a lot of crime. Back, violent crime. Violent crime. When you think, wow, and I just look at TV. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. That's a huge number because you're talking about California. And so you think about all the crime we see now and you think it's gotten worse. But that's a huge number. The numbers have gone down since, you know, technology. But you got to think back then it was, you know, there's lots of desert in California. There's remote places that those serial killers would use as dumping grounds. You didn't have the DNA um, technology that they can easily be identified if, you know, trace evidence was left behind. And it's just yeah, a different I, time. <laughs> which I'm thankful in that case for technology because they are able to get DNA and fingerprints and just, you know, and now all the um, like police force and detective agencies are able to share information, which back then was mail or, you know, it took a long time. Um so, yeah, wow, 210,000. California had lots of places, like you said, that were remote. So, remains could decompose before they were even found, right? Mm -hmm. So, they would decompose um, and they might be just a, a pile of bones. And then you think about DNA wasn't developed. So, killing someone was pretty easy and you might be able to even commit what they would say would be the perfect crime, which we've seen in recent years people have been caught thinking they had the perfect, they had committed the perfect crime. Um, so predators were able to seek out victims pretty easily. They hadn't gotten the concept of stranger danger. And you think now with my children, I just talk to them all the time about being careful, talking to strangers or being in a store. I stay pretty close to them. How about oh, yeah. you? Oh, yeah. Uh, one habit that was pretty common back then and culturally acceptable was hitchhiking that was a deadly game for many because there were no cell phones and it was often like russian roulette you took a chance every time you got into somebody's car and you know a lot of people especially runaways or people trying to make it to california to be an actor actress they would hitchhike across the united states it was so, the only way they could get there especially if they were too young to have yeah. a driver's license or have a car, and that's just what they did to get there. And so now we <laughs> tell us about what we do common, where we know hitchhiking. No, other people good. do common. Yeah. Voluntarily call up an Uber or a Lyft and get in the street. Right, vehicle. right, right. I've never done that. Um, I've done it once, and it wasn't even time. my choice, and it was only because my husband was with me. And it was desperation, right? Yes, we were stuck <laughs> at a train station, but I would not call up a car, even if it was from Uber or service, and just hop into because they've even have some. Some murders have happened that way True. recently. Yeah. It's just, it's never a good idea to get in a stranger's car. And I know probably a lot of you, I hope a lot of people are listening and, and you may use Uber and Lyft. It, it may be where you're from and that you have to use some sort of transportation um, or a taxi. And of course, now that we have cell phones, that makes it a little bit safer. But I would say always be on your guard because you just need to be able to be um, defend yourself because you never know what's going to happen and you just have to be careful. So just, you know, we are in the crime podcast business, so we want you to be careful because you just never know. Never, never, never know. So um, anyway, let's get started on our story, Melissa. And can you tell us a little bit about what Mary Vincent, a true survivor? What, yeah. <laughs> so we're in <laughs> California and it's September of 1978. So Mary's 15. 
And she's a runaway. She's from Nevada, okay. from Las Vegas. She okay. had left her house. She actually had had, um, she has seven siblings. She had a big household. And her father was a military man. And she had got word from her sister that he was on his way home. And he was ill. And oh, wow. he was mad at her. And apparently there was an abusive type relationship. And she actually left to save her life. Wow. In her own words. But she, she was running away from a bad situation. Okay. She had family that lived in California. And so in order to get to California, she had to hitchhike. Okay. So she had made it to California. Okay. And she was actually living in unlocked cars. She would sleep in them at night. And she was essentially homeless and i don't know the situation there but she was just ready to come home so her family in california she wasn't staying with them then. no okay. okay um so she had made it to california but she was prepared to make the journey back to nevada she wanted to go home okay. so she was hitchhiking her way back and you know a 15 year old your brain's not totally developed you get mad you just make a decision on emotion and yeah. just kind of you know run away so and especially if you were running from something that could have been abusive so now she's trying to get back home because mm -hmm. she's homesick. So how does she do that? Does she? Well, she prepared to make the normal practice, you know, while unsafe. Um, it's just cultural. You know, that's what they did mm -hmm. was she hitchhiked. And there were several people, you know, hitchhiking the same road she was on. Um, she had a sign saying that she was headed south. Because that was common practice was to write down where, where you were heading so that people would pick you up with, you know, head in that direction. Okay. And um, there was actually two people heading in the same direction with her, okay. uh, like standing next to her. And the blue, big blue van came and stopped. And so all three of them were thinking they were going to get a ride with this, this man because he had this nice big van. And so the people that were with her could actually see the back. It was empty. Sometimes oh, okay. you think a work van, it has a lot of stuff in the back and like right. maybe there's not enough room, but they could actually see that there was nothing in there. Well, and two, you got to think, unless they have curtains over the window back in the 70s, we didn't have all of this darkening film that a lot of people put on their cars. Yeah, The definitely. tent. So they, I mean, he wasn't very smart to have his windows open so they could <laughs> see it was empty. But um, he was an older gentleman, kind of looked like a grandfather. Okay. And um, he announced that he would take a passenger, but he only had room for one. And he wanted Mary to ride. And he had an empty van, but one passenger. Okay. And even the people that were with her warned her, like, look, the van's empty. Like, he's only taking one of us. This is not a good idea. Maybe you just shouldn't go. Even told her not to go. Oh, wow. But okay. she was tired. She was desperate. She wanted to go home. He was heading in the right direction. She gets inside anyway. Oh, wow. I can't even imagine. She's probably hungry and just being desperate. Homesickness can do a lot to you. Yeah. So, so and she, you know, he said he seemed like a grandfather type. You know, that was just her ticket out. She was ready to go. And, you know, looks alone, even kind words can't give you the insight to a person's, you know, true character and intentions. So little did Mary know that she just accepted a ride from Larry Singleton, and he's a truly evil monster. So, Melissa, it sounds like uh, that people going to California to be actresses aren't the only ones acting because serial killers a lot of times can put on an act and make it come across like we just talked about this one, Larry Singleton, being almost like a grandfather type. And so that's probably one reason why she got in the van with him, right? Yeah. So a lot of times these guys are actors that never know who they really are. Yeah. But she's, you know, she was so tired and she's just finally able to sit down somewhere and she assumes she's safe. She's in a vehicle and she fell asleep. 
which uh, most people do anyway. Just riding in the car is is soothing. And she's tired, so she just falls asleep. She had to be really tired because I just don't think I could. I know I couldn't sleep in a car with a stranger. Even I can't friends. even sleep in a car when my husband's driving. That's Me why I either. drive. Yeah, I can't either. I don't go to sleep. Every time I do, something crazy happens. It's, I have anxiety if I'm not the driver of the car. And my husband will tell you that. So I usually drive everywhere. And even if I'm so tired, I just can't. I can't go to sleep. Yeah. But I'm 15 way. years old, gets in the car. She's tired. She goes to sleep, which is common. Um, but... You know, it's, it's easy to nap in a moving vehicle. And she probably, she was sleeping good. She probably got some really good rest. Which There's might, no telling how long she was yeah, asleep. Yeah, well, that when we get to the future, maybe that rest helped her. So, yeah. <laughs> we will find out. That is, that is true. She was, she was well rested. Yes. Um, but when she wakes up, she realizes that they're heading in the wrong direction. She wanted to go south, and he was going north. Okay. She saw the road signs. And so, then she starts to get a little bit nervous and starts to get more aware of the situation and she's taking everything in and she called him out on it like um you're going the wrong way right. i think we're supposed to be going south and he just pulls on the side of the road oh wow so they're on a deserted road and she looks down and her shoes are untied okay and so she you know fell asleep and somehow her shoes are untied and she starts thinking well if i have to run away from him i can't go very far if my shoes are untied right so she opens the door because they're stopped and she bends down to tie her shoes. Oh, okay. And when she does that, he has gotten out of his side okay. and went around the back of the van. She's bending down to tie her shoes. And as she's doing that, he takes a sledgehammer and hits her in the back of the head. Oh, my goodness. So she just completely blacks out. Okay. Wow. So she's blacked out. Mm -hmm. And what happens when she wakes up? Well, when she wakes up, she's in the back of the van. Okay. Because remember, there was nothing back there. Right. So she's tied up. And this is where Larry repeatedly rapes and assaults this 15-year-old girl over and over. I mean, eventually he falls asleep. And she still can't go anywhere because she's tied up. Oh, man. And it just keeps, the cycle keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. I bet. So she's kind of lost some hope and probably. Yeah, at that point she, she, you know, she was just saying, kill me now. Oh, She had lost, she had lost hope. And, you know, it's already bad enough that she's wishing she's dead, but the situation's about to get much, much worse than what it is. Um, So she continuously begs for him to set her free. Okay. You know, please, please just let me go. Let me go. I won't tell anybody. You know, let me, let me out of here. Just please let me leave. And, you know, she promises him over and over again, you know, I'm not going to tell. Just let me go. Right. And so he pulls her out of the van. And this is from her words. So if you ever get a chance to watch the I Survived, it's it's really um, just inspiring and very suspenseful to hear her tell the story because she's the one who lived it. Wow. And he looks at her and he says, you want to be set free? I'll set you free. As he swings a hatchet to her arm. Oh, my goodness. Grabs her arm and swings this hatchet. And she's she's grabbing on to him really tight and she's falling backwards. And she she explains she's falling backwards, but she doesn't know why because she's holding on she's holding oh, on wow. to him, and she hits the ground and she doesn't realize it that he just took her arm completely off, and her arm is still her arm is just gone. Oh wow! And I probably felt like if she was still holding on to him, she probably felt like it was there because you get that. I, I, phantom yeah feeling when a limb is cut or well something. it took a minute for her brain to, to yeah. process what had happened so wow. then the pain starts to come in and oh. she you can she realize looks down and realize her arm is just gone it's not there okay and so now she's feeling all the pain you know the hot blood that's just pouring from her from her arm 
um, from, you know, at her elbow. And, you know, then she starts screaming and kicking because he grabs her right arm. So one arm's already gone, and now he's going to go grab the other arm. So now she's fighting. She's kicking. She's screaming. And because she's fighting so hard, it takes longer to cut the other arm off. Like, okay. it was a really swift Good for just her one fighting. or two. But then it, he has to keep chopping. Wow. So I don't oh. know if that made it worse or... Because, okay. I mean, the other one came off really quick. She didn't know what happened. And this, she's fighting. She's fighting yeah. and kicking. And he's just chopping, chopping away at oh. trying to get her arm off. Um. But that happens, and he he finishes it, and she's just laying on the ground, you know, bleeding to death because she's lost both her arms. Oh, my. And she glances up and sees him, and he's just jumping around and shaking and, and trying. She just doesn't know what's, you know, going on. Well, he's and, panicking. But then she realizes her arm, her right arm is still hanging on to his shirt. Oh, my shirt gracious. Where he cut it off, and he's trying to flick it off of himself so. on the ground. That you know, <laughs> okay, you're just gonna sit there and do what you did to this precious young girl, but now you're scared about this arm being stuck to your arm I, and you're jumping around. I just can't um, like imagine, yeah, me either. But what a uh, so having, evil man, uh, yeah. So she's lost both her arms and she's just laying on the ground. And at that, I guess he thought she was dead because okay. she wasn't kicking anymore, she wasn't screaming, she was probably in shock. Okay. Uh, and just laying there, just not knowing what to do yeah. next. So he drags her and picks her up and throws her down a 30-foot cliff, like oh embankment. Oh, my word. Just tosses her over over the to die. Wow. And just throws her over. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I can't even. Mm. So she's lost both arms at this point, mm-hmm. and now he's bleeding profusely, and now he's just thrown her off of a cliff. So you about got 30 feet. Yeah. Mm. So, as the result of the fall, she breaks four ribs. So, now you've got, <laughs> it's crazy because she got, um, she's lost all that blood. She's been up for 24 to 48 hours because she has stayed up through this entire yeah, assault after. process because she couldn't go to sleep. Because, I mean, who would be able to, all, you know, with everything going on? And How so, about, so, being thrown like that, she didn't break anything but the ribs, so she didn't... Just the just the ribs. Was wow. What I, not to have broken a leg or anything. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, you know, she's really tired. She's she's cold and really just wants to sleep. And okay. that's just your body telling you to, right. to, sh- to shut down. Right. Um, but she also had a thought in the back of her mind that he can't do this to anybody else. If I don't catch... If we don't get him caught, he's going to do it again. Right. And so, then she wanted to willed herself to stay awake and to continue to fight to live. Wow. And so never underestimate what you're capable of because I would have never thought anybody in that position would be able to overcome any of that. That's right. Wow. So then survival instinct begins to kick in. Now, I don't know how she knew to do. I don't think I would know to do this, but she sticks her arms down in the dirt in the mud and kind of packs it so it stops the bleeding. So it kind of like, and that's that's a survival tactic. Okay. Um, so that dirt mud mixture sticks to her arms and where they were severed and stops some of the bleeding. Okay. But then she begins to crawl back up the cliff. This is a 30-foot cliff that she was thrown down, and she makes her way back up. Now, it took her all day. Wow. So this was in the morning when he threw her over. Wow. After all, the whole night. Yeah. And it takes her all day to climb to the top. Man. By the time she made it back up to the top, night was coming again. So she had to just be really worn out. I just, she had survival in her. She was fighting. Wow. And yeah. So she reaches the top and it's nightfall. So there's no lights. 
So it's just she had moonlight and stars and that's it. Okay. But she could hear traffic. Like over a hill in the distance, she could hear there was like a freeway. Okay. And she just kept repeating in her head, if I can get to the freeway, if I can get to the traffic, somebody will see me. Right. And that gave her hope Mm -hmm. to hear the traffic. But three miles was what she had to walk. It took her all night. She didn't reach the road until the next day. So you got to think she's climbed all day and walked all night. And then, of course, she... (laughs) I wonder if she had any shoes on. Did we already mention? No, no, no shoes. She, no shoes. Okay, no shoes. No wow. shoes. She was completely naked. Oh, wow. Okay. Missing both arms and mm. four broken ribs and makes her way back up and walks. This makes me sad, you know, <laughs> just sad for her. And But, I, wow. Okay. All right. But, so, what happens when she walks the three miles? But she finally reaches the road. Okay. Finally. And she sees a red sports car with a convertible top, just two guys cruising down the road. So she's, you know, screaming, help me, help me. And they drive off. They were like, nope, not Aww. happening. But, and she even said it in her mind. You, she probably looked like something from a horror movie. Yeah. You have this girl coming from, you know, nowhere, walking down the road, missing arms, bleed, blood all over. Yeah. She has no clothes on. You know, they probably thought it was the zombie apocalypse. Or- yeah. <laughs> or, hey, something might be coming behind her and we don't yeah, want to stick so, around. So, I I'm really hope that they saw the news and, and you know, kind of felt guilty because I would. Yeah. Or but, at least got somewhere to call or for call, help. Yeah. I just, but they, they have gone on. So, at that point, she's thinking, really, she's going to die out here. She's made it this far. She has seen somebody and they just left her. Wow. So, she starts walking down the middle of the road. Can't miss her if she's walking down the exactly, middle of the road. Exactly, I would think. Um, and a newlywed couple who were on their honeymoon driving around, they had gotten lost. And they ended up on that road. Huh. And they found her. And they immediately pulled her into the car, were racing to get to a phone, and called for help. Okay. Well, good for them. So, she does make it to the hospital. Helicopter comes and airlifts her to the hospital. So, she's made it through. She's going to survive. Now, they just have to catch the monster that did it. So Mary's at the hospital and it turns out she had lost over half the blood in her body. Wow. And then what blood she did have left was toxic. And the only reason she was able to even survive was she was so young and healthy. Okay. And that her body was just given those conditions under fight and flight, just pushed through. Okay. If she was any older or unhealthy or if it was me, we would not, (laughs) we would not make it. Yeah. No, definitely. So even, you know, now she's in the hospital, she's on the mend, she finally has a chance to rest, she refuses. She doesn't want to go to sleep until she works with police to come up with a composite sketch of her attacker. Wow. So she, while everything is fresh in her mind, before she forgets, she doesn't want to rest, she just wants to get it down on paper, find this guy. Yeah, she definitely had to have had her adrenaline take over because I, I just think of the pain, you know. But as a result, because she was so diligent and keeping details and making sure she could replay it back and be accurate in just 10 days later, they identified her attacker and arrested them. 10 days. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. And so she didn't have to see him again until they were in court six months later. Okay. But just two weeks after the incident, she had already gotten um, prosthetic arms and she was, you know, well on the mend. But um, during his trial, she had to sit like within 10 feet of him and recount everything that, you know, he had put her through, which is terrifying to even think about that. He's right there. You know, he's the one who did this to you. And now you have to talk about it. 
and he's just no remorse, no, just very cold, obviously doesn't feel any kind of emotion over what he did. Oh, wow. Mm. And, of course, he got sentenced. He was convicted of rape and attempted murder, and he was sentenced to 14 years imprisonment. Okay. Which seems like nothing. Compared to what she went through. Right. Yeah. Um, But at the time, that was the maximum penalty that the judge could sentence. He even said it. Like, if it was up to me, you'd be in jail until, like, the rest of your natural life. Yes. But this is what I can legally do. Wow. So they gave him the maximum amount of time that they could. But when it was over and she was leaving the courtroom, she had to walk right by him, like just a few inches away. And he looks at her. These are her her words. He says, quote, if it's the last thing I do, I'll finish the job. Unquote. Oh, wow. That... That, that's bone that's chilling. That's scary. Yes, that's very bone chilling. And then she's, I mean, he's going to be locked away, but he's only going to be locked away for 14 years. Yeah. At the most. And then, she, you know, he can try to find her. And wow. And so this is what makes me so mad about the, the system. Okay. So after serving seven of those years, just half of his sentence, he was released for good behavior. I was going to ask, was it good behavior? Good behavior because they know how to act. Yes. Well, and follow the rules when it benefits them. He was the actor. So he was a teacher's aide in the prison. A teacher's a aide? A teacher's aide, aide. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And did good behavior. So they they paroled him after just half a sentence. So that was in 1987. But there was so much outrage in public. Just people were mad because they knew what had happened and what he had done. That there was protest every city they tried to place him in. Like, they would just, 500 people at a time would show up. He would get death threats. They were like, he's not living in this area. Who yeah. would want that person to live in it, your neighborhood? Exactly. That's right. And so they had nowhere to put him. So they put him in a trailer on the prison property in San Quentin and told him to live out the rest of his probation at the prison, but not in prison because they couldn't do anything else with him. But today, they just let, let people go anywhere. Yeah. But back then, they put him on the prison grounds. They put him on the prison grounds in, in a, a trailer. trailer that To keep him safe because he was getting death threats and wow. people wanted to attack him. Mm. So, taxpayers' dollars to put him up in a place yes. when he should have just been at the prison and never released to begin with. Yes. That's scary. All right. Well, so she's having to go out and live with the fact that he said he was going to finish the job. and. I imagine she had to work a long time to kind of feel safe again. But she did go on to get married and have two children. Mm -hmm. She also became an artist and tries to stay out of the public eye. She did win a civil suit against Singleton um, for $2.56 million. But guess what? He was poor. <laughs> he was poor. He couldn't pay. He was living on the prison grounds. <laughs> um, so he couldn't pay that. And just can't imagine the mental state that she was thrown into um, when she found out he was getting paroled, especially after everything she had been to. Well, now she had two sons and a family that she was yeah, fearing for. So she, she couldn't stay in one place very long because who knows if he's coming around the corner to try to track her down right. and finish that job. So she had to move all around. And then she ended up living in an abandoned gas station. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So he had threatened to come and finish the job. And now he was out. I guess that thought probably really haunted her wherever she went, like you said, and she was always looking over her shoulder. Um, this also catapulted legislation against the justice system for released violent criminals when torture was involved. 
Mary Vincent helped lead the charge to pass California's Singleton Bill in 1987 after his release. So she worked to help other victims. Yep, so now there's a law in place that they can't release violent criminals who use torture early. Okay. For good behavior. <laughs> yes, because, yes. And that's good. That's a good law. The Singleton Bill. All right, so once his parole was over, he found somewhere that would take him, Mm -hmm. and he returned to his native Florida. He continued to get caught doing different petty um, thefts, stealing, uh, like a disposable camera and a $3 hat. In 1997, he stabbed a woman to death by the name of Roxanne Hayes. During his trial for that conviction, Mary flew down to Florida to give her testimony again. Yep, the state actually flew her in to, um, because some of the jurors, you know, they're all the way in Florida, may not have known what had happened in California. And so what better way to convince the jury to put this man away is to hear from his victim of all this torture and abuse that she, you know, had to go through. So after they heard all of this, what was... What was the sentence after this? When because I'm sure that had a huge impact. Oh yeah, they deliberated. I think for like three hours, maybe a little under four, and he was sentenced to death. Okay, was he ever executed for his crimes? Uh, he was not, but he died of cancer in 2001. Okay, and I wonder if he had other. Um, oh, we're gonna find out about if he had other hitchhikers he might have picked up. So let's talk about <laughs> Mary first. Sorry about that. No, no. <laughs> if, but if you have a chance to look Mary up, she actually she's an artist. She draws, and her art is amazing. Um, now, without having to move around and knowing where Larry is, and he's you know dead now, she can settle down in one residence without having to move around. And so she has um, her two sons that live with her, and they have you know dogs, hamsters, parrots. Um, there's an article in the Seattle Post that contains some of her pictures and her prosthetic arms were, um, she has some, that they have like two prongs, like a little claw and they can't move around much. Um, and it kind of hurts when she draws. So what she does, she likes to tinker with things was how she put it. She took old radio parts and old parts of refrigerators and kind of custom make her uh-huh. own little attachments so that she can draw and she plays pool and she goes bowling Oh, and wow. um, it's definitely full of life. It sounds like she really found a way to enjoy life and make the most out of what happened to her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely go check out her artwork if you have a chance. And then we're also, it's also a good reminder of um, how the sometimes the justice system fails. Yep. Repeat violent offenders often get released under good behavior. Um, that law is, you know, that's a California law. That's not a Florida law or, you know, North Carolina law. So sometimes we okay. see it where uh, offenders get released and then they go back to doing exactly what they were doing before, you know, before they got caught. And so here, I, yeah, so. I, I, well, I have no doubt in my mind that Mary was not his first hitchhiker that he picked up this way. Yeah. And that's what I was about to say while ago. I, I didn't think because he was, just, you don't just go straight from zero to that. Right. And he was prepared. He had the stuff in his van and. It sounds like he was calm. You know, he was ready to do what he had planned in his mind to do. So, um, he did. He underestimated Mary, though, because uh, she survived. And so, she wanted to make sure that he would never do that again to someone else, especially after what happened to Roxanne. She helped put him behind bars where he belonged. And uh, the first time, he didn't stay there very long. But through her work with the trial for Roxanne, he ended up getting 
uh, I guess he was the death penalty, but then he died of cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, through her hard work and determination, laws were passed to make sure that what happened to Roxanne doesn't happen again by a violent offender getting out because they can be good inside the system and use it to their advantage. So thank you, Mary Vincent, for um, surviving and just working hard to make sure it couldn't happen um, to others. So just thank you for sharing your story and everyone out there, just, you know, make sure you stay safe and uh, watch out for different things. Even if you take a taxi or an Uber Lyft or <laughs> don't any, hitchhike. I mean, just, just use com yeah, don't hitchhike and just use common sense and, and keep yourself stay safe. So, um, yeah. So thank you for joining us. And yeah, thanks for listening this week. Always. You can hit us up on our Facebook group. You can email us at old time crime gals at gmail.com. You can follow us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast. And don't forget, remember, if you do the crime, it'll catch up with you in time. And we'll talk about it.